0: You're invited to get out your Bible or Bible app and go to today's reading, which is in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. Our Bible's in the back of the pews or the chairs. And you're free to use them if you need one. And now today's scripture, John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out. She went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Thank you so much, Mike. So I hope you keep your Bibles open to John chapter 11. We're gonna work through quite a bit of that chapter today. And I invite you all now to take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning you are, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many years ago now, I made the choice to stop speaking to someone in my family. It's a decision that I'm not particularly proud of today, but at the time it felt like the right decision. So I blocked phone calls and I blocked emails and I insulated myself from any communication from this person I was a seminary student then, living in New Jersey. And when summer approached, I came back to Texas to serve as an intern and to work a little bit to make some money. And the phone rang one day in my place of work. And on the other end was the voice of my loved one. Amy, I know you're in town. Would you be willing to have coffee with me? I paused for a moment as I registered my surprise, and then I said, no, I'm not comfortable with that, and I hung up the phone. The death of relationships can come in many forms. A breakup with a romantic partner, estrangement from a sibling or a parent, silent treatment from a friend, sometimes it comes in literal death, and that was the case for Jesus and his friend Lazarus. It's the context, it's in this context of this turn of events that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the fifth such statement of identity that we have been studying during our series, I am, seeing life through stained glass. Jesus makes seven statements of identity in the Gospel of John. Six of them are on the stained glass windows behind you. You can go ahead and turn around and take a look if you want to. I feel so guilty sometimes. I get to stand up and see them much more often and for longer than you do, and they're beautiful. So far, we have discussed what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life and the light of the world and the gate, and the good shepherd, that brings us to the resurrection and the life. So if you have your Bibles open, or if you'd like to turn to John chapter 11, I'd like to back up a little bit and start reading from verse 1. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God would be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, Bethany was a town about two miles from Jerusalem. It's on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. It's known as the place of Lazarus today on the West Bank. It was indeed the home of Martha and Mary. And you may remember Mary and Martha from Luke chapter 10, that story where Martha is doing all of the work in the house where the guests are with Jesus. And she's getting so frustrated at Mary, who's sitting at the feet, of Jesus and Martha walks up to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. Tell her to do her part. And Jesus says, Martha, Mary has chosen the better part. So many sermons have been preached to scold Martha for being distracted, to praise Mary for her devotion to Jesus. But the real invitation in the story is not to condemn Martha or to elevate Mary, but to ask all of us to pay attention to our inner tension between action and contemplation. Martha represents action. Mary represents contemplation, and we need both. And that tension, it tends to rise to the surface in times of stress, and we see that in this story. It's a part that we're not reading today, but Martha rushes out to meet Jesus when he's on his way to Bethany, and Mary stays home. Let's keep reading. I'll give you a little bit of background, and then we'll pick up in verse 14. So in verse 7, Jesus tells the disciples it's time to go to Judea, and they say they don't want to go because they know that people are out to hurt Jesus. And then there's some talk about Lazarus being asleep. So Jesus says very clearly in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe but let us go to him and then thomas who was called the twin said to his fellow disciples let us also go that we might die with him jesus arrives and mary and martha they take the opportunity at different times to tell jesus if you had been here our brother would not have died that leads to talk about the resurrection now in those days many jewish people believed in a final judgment day and Jesus had been connecting that final judgment day with eternal presence, with God. So Martha says something about Lazarus being resurrected on that last day with the saints. But Jesus is talking about something much more immediate. The word resurrection can mean restoration of life or even a revival of a certain practice. Certainly for followers of Jesus, resurrection refers to his rising on Easter morning. And and to the new life that we have in Christ. For us, that also means that we can experience resurrection any time we trust in the existence of hope and the possibility of healing. Every time a relationship is reconciled or compassion is expressed or humility is exhibited, that's resurrection in the here and the now. It's a new way of life when the old ways weren't working for us anymore. And we can see in our text for today that Martha believes that Jesus could have kept Lazarus from dying in the first place. But we also see a sliver of hope for something more. as she says, even now I know that God will do whatever you ask. So let's take a look at verse 25 again. Verse 25 is where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha replies, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. Right there is a moment of resurrection. Resurrection is beginning right there. And it's not just for Lazarus. It's for Martha, too, who in just moments will see her brother step out of his grave very much alive. So I encourage you this week to read the whole story. Read from verses 1 through 44 in John chapter 11. It's a beautiful passage, and in it you will encounter the easiest verse in the whole Bible to memorize. What is it? Jesus wept. That's right. There's so much speculation about why Jesus would cry, why Jesus would weep when he's about to perform this miracle that's going to make everybody happy. Jesus wept. This is my interpretation now. Jesus wept because his friends had given up on the possibility of new life. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days, but the mourning period in that culture was 30 days. And the finality of death was not really acknowledged for an entire year. Jesus wept because his friends did not yet understand that for resurrection to happen, Death has to happen first. For resurrection to happen, death has to happen first, but we're so reluctant to acknowledge death. We preach a good game. We talk about the importance of dying to ourself, which actually is nowhere in the Bible, but the premise is there. Jesus says in Luke that anyone who wants to follow him must deny themselves and take up their cross. Paul picks up this theme in the letter to the Philippians, saying, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. This is the example that Jesus set for us, Paul says. So it's not easy at all dying to ourselves, but it is a requirement for following Jesus. And I did say requirement. We can believe in Jesus all we want, We can make the most beautiful professions of faith like Martha without dying to ourselves even a little bit. And God will still love us, right? Grace is not something that we can earn, but we won't actually be following in the ways of Jesus unless we're willing to live differently. Jesus calls his followers to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile, to give the shirts off of our back, to give to everyone who asks, and to love our enemies. Now, I know some wonderful people who are truly seeking to live in this way, and I know that you do too. But on the whole, on the whole, we American Christians, we are failing to actually follow Jesus. And that is why the church in our nation is dying. We're so quick to blame the changing culture around us or the moral decline of the younger generations, but the real problem is that we have failed to build a culture in which we actually follow the teachings of Jesus. Our churches are full of nice people who love God and truly want to help others, but we have not been taught, nor are we really willing to do this kind of inner work. So what needs to die? What am I talking about here? Well, the answer is going to differ for each of us, but something on this list usually applies. Our pride has to go. And in a healthy faith community, there's no place for resentment either, or judgment, or jealousy. All of that needs to die within us. And I say us, because I am human too, and I'm not exempt. Perhaps we also need to let go of a longed-for apology, or the need to be right, or how about a fear of scarcity, or self-centeredness. These postures, they don't serve us well. It's pretty easy to talk about these attitudes and these behaviors as a group in theory and to condemn them altogether, but it's another thing to be honest with ourselves about which ones are alive within us and which ones need to die. Which ones are alive and feeding us false narratives about who we are and why our poor behavior is justifiable. Now like anything, following Jesus and dying to ourselves, it takes intention, practice. Death to our harmful and destructive behaviors only really comes through replacing them with humility and healing Confession, repentance, forgiveness. A commitment to these postures and behaviors will enable true reconciliation, transformation as we constantly offer compassion and grace and mercy. It's not easy, it's much easier to hang up the phone like I did all those years ago when someone I loved called me and asked me to imagine the possibility of reconciliation? I said no, and I hung up the phone. And then I took a deep breath and I picked up the phone and I dialed and I waited for the hello and I said, can I change my mind? It did not happen overnight. But because we were both willing to do the work, reconciliation has truly happened and that relationship that once seemed dead is very much alive and it's healthy. I don't know what needs to die in you, but you're human, so I can guess it's something. It won't happen without a willingness to admit what needs to change and an intention to allow God to help you change it. And today is as good a day as any to start. That's what these cards are about. These are for you, I'm not gonna ask for them, I'm not gonna ask you to read them. But I am going to ask you to reflect on a couple of questions. And if you are worshiping online, any piece of paper and any writing utensil will work. I'd like you to reflect on these questions. What needs to die in me? What new life could result and what is my first step? So maybe it's an attitude about someone or something, maybe it's a bad habit, maybe it's a long held grudge or fear, only you can really answer these questions. But I encourage you to be honest with yourselves about some choice that you're making that's not really serving you or others well. And think about the possibilities that await if that burden were lifted, think about One thing you could do this week to move toward that freedom. And if this is too much right now, just write down the questions. What needs to die? What new life could result? And what is my first step? Take a couple of minutes. Make some notes. Again, I'm not going to ask you to read them. Take a few minutes, a couple minutes, and we'll come back. Beloved, this is hard work. That's not something you can really do in two minutes on any given Sunday. But that's another reason that I encourage you to bring your Bibles, because you can place this card inside your Bible so that when you are studying throughout the week and you're seeking the word that God has for you, you can be reminded of this practice and you can go deeper into this reflection. You can listen for what God has to say to you about your own process of transformation, because it is possible. Beloved, transformation. I mean, like Lazarus, we can live new lives, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But first, we have to choose to walk out of the grave. Amen? Amen. We're moving into a time of prayer now. As we do so, I want to invite the kids in your worship bags to find your crosses. Some of you in the sanctuary might have the wooden crosses that I shared when I first arrived. You take your wooden crosses, you can hold it in your hand. You're reminded that when we pray, we are holding the hand of God and we are connected to followers of Jesus around the world. And if you're not receiving the prayer updates from Janet McQueen, let me know or let Janet know. Janet, would you wave to everyone? she puts together a beautiful list so that we can be praying with them for each other. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, you have the power over life and death. We give you what is dead in us. We give you the lost dreams, the hopelessness, the lack of vision, the faith, frayed and worn thin, relationships that are shattered and broken. And we give you the things that need to die, our pride, our resentment, judgment, jealousy, a longed for apology, the need to be right, fear of scarcity, self-centeredness. We trust that you make all things new. Resurrect our faith, renew our joy and restore our hope. Because you, conqueror of death and the grave, can do all things. We pray these things in the name of Jesus as we continue to pray together as he taught his disciples saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us